When I was in seventh grade, I got sick, really sick. So I had to spend a couple days in the hospitals. They had to run some tests and try to figure out what was, what was wrong with me, and it ended up being just a really bad stomach bug. Um, but I missed school for four days, which was kind of a silver lining in all of that. Except for the fact, when I went back to school, I had just a binder full of makeup work uh, to do. And these were long before the days of Wikipedia and the Internet. Uh, that's how old I am. Where you could just go online and, and find out all of the answers that way. I had to actually like dig through textbooks and, and try, to, try to learn the material. And I'll never forget, one of the assignments was, was in a a class for social studies, and it was geography-related, and the question was, what are the name of these islands? And it was, it was a portion of the Indonesian islands, and I spent literally an hour digging through the textbook, and I couldn't find the answer. And this was before it dawned on me that you can miss a couple questions on your homework. It's not going to be the end of the world. Like, if I was taking it now, I'd just be like, don't know, turn in the paper, get that one wrong, and move on with my life. That would have been a much better time management skill. But I hadn't learned that yet. And again, there was no internet this time. So I asked my parents, and they're like, we don't know. I have no idea. And when, when I was growing up, you could actually call the library for homework help. And so I called the library. And they put me on hold for 30 minutes. And they couldn't give me the answer. They're like, we don't know. And so I went into school the next day, and I went up to my teacher, and I was like, I, I, have, I, have no idea, I have no idea what the answer to this is, and this is just really, really hard. And she was like, what question are you talking about? And I'm like, this one. And she smiled a little bit, and she said, I'm going to give you the answer. But before I do that, I want, you to, I want you to remember that life is full of hard things. And I said, Okay. And she said, the answer is the Indonesian islands. I'm like, that's what the paper says right there. That can't be the answer. Like, I was thinking they wanted to know the individual name of each island. And she's like, oh, no, we just wanted to know that. I'm like, you printed it right there. And now well, I've arrived at the point where I would just miss one now. <laughs> that's why I am. Today we're going to be talking about hope in hard times, and this is just a lesson that God is continuing to just lay on my heart, and he's continuing to teach me. On the ride here this morning, we were riding as a family to church, and about five minutes into our journey, my wife looks over to me, she's got a purse on her, she says, hey, you have any chapstick? I'm like, I do, she's got the purse, she doesn't. But any of you guys know when you're wearing jeans, it's not easy to get down in that pocket and get the chapstick out. I'm like, I do, but it's going to be really hard for me to get it for you right now. She's like, life's, whole, life's full of hard things. And I'm like, I love you so much. You better keep those lips kissable for me. Here you go, honey. <laughs> Here you go. But we're going, to be talking about, we're going to be talking about where we can go to find our hope in the midst of difficulty. And we just need the reminder right now. We just need the reminder that in light of all that's going on, in light of all that's going on, that our God is bigger than a pandemic, he's bigger than a president, and we can have hope in the midst of all the turmoil and in the midst of all the craziness. So we're all familiar right now with dealing with hardship, uh, recent challenges, they've impacted us all. To one degree or another, we've all been impacted by the recent challenges that our world faces. And one of the key indicators for how well people manage when there are times of immense stress and difficulty is how much hope they have. When people, when people lose sight of that hope and when there's a lack of hope in people's lives, 
the propensity for them to make destructive decisions increases immensely, as does attempted suicide. Hopelessness is, is nothing new. In fact, we go back a couple thousand years to a bunch of new followers of Jesus in a town called Thessalonica. And these were people who'd just given their lives to God, and yet something seemed off. They still faced hardship. There were still issues in their lives. And they thought, and maybe, maybe it's a thought that you've had at a time in your life, maybe it's even a thought that you have now, but they thought that if they gave their lives to Jesus and if they followed God, that everything would go smoothly. If they made the right choice to follow God, that he would just always bless them and make it so that life was easy. And they would never face any difficult circumstances. And so with that thought process being in their minds, they began to wonder, are we doing something wrong? Is God mad at us? And the answer, as we're going to see over the course of the next few weeks, is very different. So thanks for joining us for this. If you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to start today in chapter 1 as we walk through this over the course of the next few weeks. But before we launch into uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I just want to give you some background for, for, what, for what the town was like and the mindset of the people, as we've talked about just a second ago. But Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. It was the center of politics. It was the center of politics and commercialization. It was a very refined city for the times. In fact, the population of the times was a massive, massive city. It had a couple hundred thousand people at the time that the Apostle Paul went and ministered to people. He first went there, and this is all recorded for us in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17. We're not going to look at that today, but if you want to learn more about how the church in Thessalonica got started and some of the situations around that, in fact, when Paul went there and he started telling people about the hope of Jesus and they gave their lives to Jesus and they started the church, people were so mad. People were so mad they ran them out of town. People were so mad at what was going on. People were so mad at the work of God that they ran Paul and his crew out of town. And it's just a reminder for us that as people who love Jesus, we need to be ready to be opposed to be ready to be opposed. We don't need to be opposed because we're jerks. We don't need to be opposed because of how we conduct ourselves, but we just need to understand that there is an unseen realm. There is a spiritual war that's going on. There are forces of evil who hate the fact that there is hope and love and forgiveness and grace and freedom available to people. This, the forces of evil want people to, to believe that there is, there is no hope, that they are hopeless, that they have gone too far, that God doesn't love them. And so anytime we share the message of hope, we just, need to, we just need to be prepared to understand that while we are doing nothing wrong, people will be opposed to that message. And we see it all throughout Scripture. So this is the, this is the background to where we start, and, and now we start in 1 Thessalonians 1, where we read these words, Paul Sylvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So just a little, just a little background here for who's, who's writing this letter with, obviously, under the guise of the Holy Spirit, we have 
Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament at one point in time. He was a, a fierce opponent to Jesus. He hated everything about the message of Jesus. In fact, he killed people who followed Jesus. And God got a hold of him and changed his life. And he went on to, to just help people in immense ways. So he's writing this letter. Silas, uh, you, you may have heard of Silas if you've read the New Testament before. He's somebody who partnered alongside of Paul. Paul just uses his legal name instead of calling somebody Matt or, or John. He calls him Matthew or Jonathan uh, and Timothy, who was somebody who came alongside. And he, he basically, Paul was like a father figure to him. And, and these three are together, and they are now ministering to this church in Thessalonica. And what is the very first thing that Paul desires for them? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And then in an age where grace and peace have escaped so many, may we, may we not lose sight that this should be one of our focuses as well, that we are people who exude grace and that we live peaceful lives. And how is that possible? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. It continues, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, listen, every time I think about you, every time I think about you, the city that ran me out because of, because of what Jesus was doing, every time I think about you and the church that you have there, I thank God for you. And this just forces us to ask a question of ourselves today that's very simple, and that is this. Are people thankful for us? Are people thankful for us? Do we live our lives in such a way that it is a blessing for others to know us? Do we live our lives in such a way that other people are thankful that we are in their lives? And not just, not just once. He says, I'm constantly, I'm constantly thinking of you, and I am constantly thankful for all that you mean to me. You are a source of joy. You are a source of encouragement to me. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we those kind of people? Are we the kind of person that when other people think about us, they're thankful that we're in their lives? And, and, and then he brings it back, and he says, here's why I'm thankful for you. Here's why I'm thankful for you. Because when I think about you, I remember your faith, I remember your love, and I remember your hope. I remember your faith, I remember your love, I remember your hope. And he says, when, when I think about you, those are the things that I think about, and I am so thankful that you are a part of my life. And as people who follow Jesus, we need, to, we need to live lives like this. We need, to keep, we need to keep Jesus at the center of all that we think about. And it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that we're going to be completely unaffected by everything this world has to throw our way. Because while we're citizens of heaven, we also live here in this world. And so there are going to be times of frustration. There are going to be times where we just don't get it. And that's good. As people who love Jesus, we shouldn't get it. If, if we were like, yeah, everything about this world makes sense to me. Well, at that point, there's something really wrong with us because it shouldn't make sense to us. But in the midst of that, we can't lose sight of our faith, 
of our hope and of our love. Faith, hope, and love. And he says, every time I think about you, I think of the fact of your faith, of your hope, and of your love, and I thank God for you. So we need to live lives that people are thankful for us being in their lives. And then the next question I have for you is, who's in your life like that? Because if you find yourself at a place where you find yourself hopeless, and you're pessimistic about everything, and I get it, I get it. Some of us are just naturally pessimistic. I am. I'm much more wired to see the glasses half empty than I am half full. I'm like, just fill the stupid glass up, and then we don't have to worry about it. That's just, that's just my outlook. Other people are like, oh, there's some water. That's fantastic. I'm like, keep the faucet on. Let's go. We have clean water in this country. Let's keep it moving. That's just the way I naturally see it. But we can't, we can't allow that to overtake us at, at all times, and we need to be people who are full of faith, of hope, and love, and we need to exude those things so that other people are thankful that we are in their lives, but we also need those people in our lives to keep us encouraged because even the most optimistic person is going to face seasons of trouble, going to face times of uncertainty. And sometimes they're faking it, and you don't know it, but they're not feeling it. And those are the times, those are the times we need each other all the more. And the question is, if you find yourself hopeless right now, who's in your life that when you think of them, you think of the fact that they are full of faith, of hope, and of love? And what I want us to do right now is I just want us to pause in the quietness of this room and each of us in our heart. I just want us to just, just thank God for some people for some people who've encouraged us, for some people who've made a difference in our lives, for some people who inspire us. I just, I just want us to pause just, just for like 30 seconds and just thank God, each of us individually, for people he's placed in our lives who have helped us grow closer to him, who have helped encourage us and helped us, uh, whether it's during this time or whether another time in your life, but just been there and been this community that Paul's talking about here where we thank God when we think of them. So let's just do that now. Amen. And then it continues in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. For your sake. And now, now he just really starts to boil this down and he says, because, because you've been loved by God, because the gospel, it came to you, not only in word, but, but also in power. What's he saying? He's saying our encounters, 
Our encounters with God changed your lives. Our encounters with God changed your lives. Your encounters with God changed your lives. Here's the deal. Real encounters with God, true encounters with God, not feelings that we have, but true encounters with God change people's lives and it changes them to the core. If you have had an encounter with God, you cannot be unchanged. If you've truly had an encounter with God, it changes you to the core. And here's why. Because at the core, our message is offensive. Our message is offensive. It just is. Our message is offensive because at our core, here's what we tell you. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. I'm not either. Like, I'm not just talking down at you, like, well, you all have a problem. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not good enough, and you're not good enough. That's just, that's the reality of our message. The gospel message is that there's a problem with you. In a world that tells you you are great and you are perfect just the way you are and don't change anything, the gospel says, no, you need to change everything. You need to change everything. That's the core of our message. The gospel says, God has a standard and you don't meet it. So you need to be changed. The, the gospel tells us you were dead. You were dead in your sin. You were dead. You felt very much alive, but you were dead. When God looked at you, you were dead. And there's but one way for you to become alive, and that's through a relationship with Jesus because he's paid the price for your mistakes. He's, prayed, he's paid the price for all of your shortcomings. But he's the only hope that you have. And when we have that true encounter with God, and when we realize all that God has done for us, and the fact that we can't earn it, and we don't deserve it, but it's just God's gift to us, it radically changes us. It radically changes us. And it's not about trying to live up to some standard for everybody else. It's not trying to live up to a standard because, oh, this is what people think my life should look like because I'm a follower of Jesus. But what it is, is it's a desire for us to say, God, I want to live my life and bring you glory. God, I want to live my life according to the way that you want me to live my life. Not, not like our arms being twisted, not because we're worried about how everybody else is going to perceive what we do, but because we legitimately want to honor and please God with how we live our lives. And this is what happened to the people in Thessalonica. They had a true encounter with God, and it changed everything about them. And then what happened? Well, they had their encounter with God. And then verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, what happened? You, you made the decision to follow Jesus, and that's great. But listen, I, I don't want to discourage anybody. In fact, this should be something that's really encouraging for you. The minute you make the decision to follow Jesus, God's not done with you. God's not done with you. In fact, he's just getting started. He's just getting started. And one of the frustrations people can have shortly after they make the decision to give their lives to Jesus is they can feel like, well, I need to be a finished product. And I don't want to discourage you, but that's not going to happen. God's always going to be working in your life. God's always going to be doing something. But in the process of us following Jesus, 
we become more and more like Him. So that, so that people can look at us. And this is what he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So we need to live lives that are so connected, that are so connected with God, that when people look at us, they see Jesus. When people look at our lives, they don't just see our lives, but people look at us and they emulate us, but they emulate God in the process of emulating us. It says, you imitated us. In the process, you imitated the Lord. One of my sister-in-laws, I came to find out, hated the voice of Randy Savage. Now, if you don't know who the macho man Randy Savage is, you did not watch wrestling in the 1980s, which I did as I grew up in the 1980s. And I came to find this out. I don't even remember. I think I was watching an interview, and she just was like, ugh, what is that voice? And I'm like, that's the macho man Randy Savage. And she's like, that is hideous. And she left the room. So I got an idea. And the next time, <laughs> the next time she came over to babysit, I answered the door and I said, Ooh, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm too hot to handle, I'm too cold to hold, I am what I am, and I am the macho man, ooh yeah. And I refused to talk in any other voice the entire night, the entire night, other than the macho man voice, which really hurt my throat, but I didn't want to let on to that, I didn't want to let on to that, and she got, she got so mad, she got so mad that she left early, and she's like, would you just talk normal, and I just couldn't, I just had to talk. Uh, like the, I mean, not like really mad, all right? I'm, maybe, I don't know. She got over it. Anyways, but I sat down, and before she came over, I watched literally an hour of incoherent macho man interviews from the 1980s and wrote down key phrases and tried to figure out the inflection. Like, I don't want to search for a couple hours what the individual islands of the Indonesian islands are called, but I am willing to watch macho man interviews from the 1980s for an hour just to torture my sister-in-law. It's just who I am, all right? It's just who I am. But I wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure that I could imitate it to the best of my ability. And it took some time. It took some time. I had to watch. I had to, I had to see how he would say certain things. I, I would rewind it. And it was all just, to, all just to annoy somebody. How much more, how much more important should it be? How much more important should it be that we need to spend time understanding the heart of God. And we need to get in tune with the ideas of Jesus and what he's conveyed. So that when people look at us and when we encounter other people, they see Jesus through what we say, through what we do, through how we respond. We need to live our lives so in tune with God that when people imitate us, they aren't imitating us. They're imitating Him. And the only way that is possible, the only way that's possible is for us 
to understand the heart of God. But live your life so in touch with God and with who He is that when people look at you and when people respond in the way that you respond and when people talk the way you talk, when people love the way that you love and when people act the way that you act, it's not you, but it's Jesus. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. He says, because we imitated God and you imitated us. Check this out. Because we imitated God and you imitated us, others are now growing closer to Jesus because of what you've done. You imitated us, we imitated God, and now other people are imitating you. And this is how the church multiplies. This is how the gospel spread. That we, as a a collective, each of us individually, that we would be so in touch with the heart of God that our lives would look this way. And that people would emulate us because there's just something that we have to offer. The hope that we live is so different than the hopelessness that is just being displayed all around us. That the love that we offer is so infectious that people just desperately want it and they need it all the more. The patience that define us. The understanding the goodness and the kindness and the joy and all of the fruits of Spirit that we would really live lives that are so full of those things that when people look at us, they say, I don't know. I don't know everything, but I want what they have. I want what they have. And in the process, we point them to Jesus. And then they start to live lives full of love and start to live lives full of hope and start to live lives full of patience and joy and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. And everyone that they encounter says, I want what they have. I want what they have. We want it unapologetically. We want to have influence across this region. That's unapologetically our desire at Lakeside. We want to have influence across this region. And the best way for us to do that is not an ad campaign. The best way for us to do that is for each and every person who loves Jesus and calls Lakeside home to live this. To live this. So that every person we encounter understands there's something different about us. And it's not about Lakeside. It's about the cause of Christ advancing in a place that desperately needs hope. In a world that is increasingly hopeless. And that we would say, our lives are different. Because of Jesus. And our lives are better 
because of what he has done. And you can find hope and you can find joy and you can find peace and you can find forgiveness and you can leave the past behind and you can experience joy. That's all available through Jesus. But this, this is the point. This is the point that each of us would do this. And it's best done in community. It is best done in community. That's why we want to equip each and every person to follow Jesus well. We want to equip everyone to follow Jesus well. We want to walk beside you. We want to help you. And we want to be there for you. We want to encourage you when times are going great. We want to assist you when times are tough. And it's more, than just, it's more than just something that we talk about. It is something that actually is our heartbeat. We have a desire to help each and every person move one step closer to Jesus, which means no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we want to come alongside of you and help you. And that may be for the person who's just given their lives to Jesus, helping them understand what it, is to, what it means to follow Jesus. And that means coming alongside somebody who's followed Jesus for 70 plus years. Saying, we want to be there to help you as you pour into other people and as you continue to grow. And that's our goal, is that we are here to pour into everyone. But this is best done in community because look at what happens. Look at what happens when we imitate God. I think he ends chapter 1 by saying this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The goal of what we do, the goal of what we do is, is very simply this. It's changed lives. It's changed lives. We want to see people's lives changed. We see the need for people to make the decision to follow Jesus, and we want to see lives transformed. We want to see people turn from the hopelessness that they've experienced to the hope that is only found by, by having a relationship with God that's only available through His Son, Jesus. That's, that's the goal of what we do. The goal of what we do is change lives. The goal of what we do is to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from Him. To tell them that your past doesn't have to define you. To tell them there's nothing you could have done that would repel God. There's nothing you could have done that would repel God to the point He doesn't want to redeem you. And God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the price for all of my mistakes, all of my shortcomings, and all of my sins, and all of your mistakes, all of your shortcomings, and all of your sins. That three days later, he rose again, proving he was victorious over any stupid thing I've done. And there have been plenty. And he's bigger than that, and he's greater than that, and he's delivered me from that, and he's forgiven me from that. And so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see all my stupidity. He doesn't see all of my faults. He doesn't see all of my shortcomings. When God looks at me, he sees me as his son because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. Listen, you know why this matters so much? This matters so much to me because this has changed me. 
It has changed me. This is the reason why I have hope. And I want so desperately you to be changed. And I want so desperately you to experience that hope. Because I've seen the lives that people live when they're hopeless. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I really wouldn't. There's a better way. And it's available to you today. And if you've made that decision, I'm so glad you've made that decision. And now we come together as a community. A community who's experienced that love and hope and forgiveness and grace that's only available through Jesus. And what this means is we link arms. People will unite around anything. People will unite around anything. One of the, one of the greatest campaigns going on right now is by Peloton. Peloton is not just a ridiculously overpriced uh, bike or treadmill. And if you work for Peloton, my apologies. But it's not just a ridiculously overpriced bike or treadmill that you install in your home. They've built an entire community. They've built an entire community of people who rally around getting together to ride a bike and sweat profusely a few times a week. And I'm not burying physical fitness. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying the brilliance of Peloton is that it's not just a bike. It's not just a treadmill. It's a community. Because there's something intrinsically more valuable about community than about a bike or a treadmill. You buy a bike or a treadmill, statistics show may or may not get used. You join the community, and you're going to be back on that bike. You're going to be back on the treadmill. We have an opportunity, and dare I say an obligation, for all of us with different backgrounds, different perspectives, and different passions to come together and individually imitate Jesus and collectively Encourage each other. Model grace, hope, and love. And bring our efforts together to accomplish collectively more than we ever could individually. And to introduce hope to this region which desperately needs it. I cannot tell you how much I love this place. And you know why? Because of the people. Because I look out in that lobby, and this is day one, and part of day one. And for those of you who, who are streaming, the, the, 
the food that started to come in this week because we are going to make a difference in this region for Jesus. I believe that to my core. And it's not about Lakeside, but it's about us living in such a way that people see him through us. And I invite you to join us in this journey. I hope you will. God, I pray that we'd be a community. I pray we'd be a community that when people think about us, they are just overcome with joy that they just love the fact that they're part of this community. And Lord, we know that there's going to be opposition. There is any time that your message is proclaimed. And Lord, we know you're greater than that opposition. So let us live lives that imitate you. And let others, when they see us, imitate us. And God, I pray collectively we would link arms. And I pray we would have just more impact than we can even imagine for you. It's about you, Jesus. It's not about our legacy. It's not about our name. But we want to see you work in this region. And God, we're just asking to be a part of that. Help us imitate you. And that starts with each of us individually getting to know your heart. So God, I just pray that each of us would live lives that people say, hey, when I think about that person, I thank God that I know them. God, help us remember, you're bigger than a pandemic. You're bigger than the president. And so, Lord, we don't know what's coming, but you do, and our hope's in you. So help us live that out. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.